0: and hello everybody and welcome to a new episode of our special special program star wars eu or e-review on fandom talk i am one of the hosts Uh, my name is al um i'm on here all the time and we talk about all things star wars from old canon to new canon books comics games whatever you got for us we talk about it every month Uh, This is technically the capstone to our first year, 2022. It's coming out a little bit late because um, things just kind of got crazy and we um, have whole entire lives um, outside of this um, thing we enjoy doing. But speaking of we, I am joined by not just my constant Star Wars compatriot and co-host, Jacob Hardesty. Jacob, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well.
0: Excellent. Um, we're also joined by, um, this time, another fandom correspondent, uh, one who possibly, arguably, is even closer to me than Jacob is. Um, we are joined by the sparkiest shark, uh, my lovely wife, Alyssa.
2: Hello.
0: That's her. <laughs> uh, now everybody can identify who's talking by the sound of their voice. Um
2: uh, <laughs> And their proximity to Al.
0: It's true. Um, so we're just going to um, jump right in this month. We are covering um, Heir to the Empire, uh, the book by Timothy Zahn, um, the book that um, often is like the first thing people think about a lot when they think of Star Wars Expanded Universe stuff in general, especially if they think about the old canon, um, the Throne Trilogy um or now um, at least I have to specify the original Thrawn Trilogy because there are now three of them uh the original Thrawn Trilogy uh, was one of um the prime um additions to Star Wars canon um to give you all, all kind of a kind of just a quick background on it um again written by Timothy Zahn an author whose popularity would um um, had already started before this book, but uh, was really kind of skyrocketed uh, by its uh, release and success among Star Wars fans. Uh, when *Air* of the Empire came out in 1991, um, we had been, um, I say we, I don't think any of us were born yet at that point. But uh, 1991, um, it had been eight years since we had received a Star Wars book. And this one came at um, the end of kind of a drought, and it was um, very much enjoyed. Um, people were very much into it. There are, of course, some people who aren't as into it. Some of them might even have their ranks among the fandom Correspondents. But um, this month we're going to uh, talk about Air to the Empire, talk about some of the story, but really... Um, what the book does with characters, both old and new, because I think that's where the real, um, um the real, um, strongest additions to the lore come in. Uh, was on stuff is the character work he does. So we're gonna jump right into it. I'm gonna start with um you, Alyssa, uh, because this book um, has special meaning to you and to me. Heir to the Empire was the first Expanded Universe book I read, um, and it was uh, suggested to me at the behest of yourself. Um, so, Alessa so just kind of t- tell us about um, your experience with the book and kind of what it means to you as far as um, the lore and Phantom and Star Wars go.
2: Yeah, so I came to Star Wars a little bit late, or at least a little bit later than other people in this in this group right now um, I did not watch any of the movies until I was like 13 14 I think um, and so I watched all of them like one through six in a progression and then was told hey you should read the books too and that blew my mind that there were books and this was the first series of the books that I had read um, and they're still some of my favorites I think um these days I don't read or watch very much Star Wars in general anymore but I still, you know, refer back to these as probably some of the best um some of my favorite things to come out of Star Wars just in general. Um especially like the first book in this series I feel like is just so good. Um yeah, that's a brief summary of my history with these these books specifically
0: yeah it's um it's one that i feel like um even though you say that like you got into the fandom in general kind of late compared to some people i feel like your experience with the book is very uh, very re- resonant with a lot of people's experience because um again this came at the tail end of an eight-year drought of extra star wars stuff mm-hmm. so when it dropped Um, A lot of people were very much just like, oh, my gosh, you you can still tell stories in this world. There's still even more to, like, explore and discover um, and things like that.
2: Yeah, and it's neat because, you know, it did come at the end of, like you said, a little bit of a Star Wars drought. And there is, like, a time skip in this book where, you know, it doesn't pick up immediately after the end of the last movie like Mm -hmm. it it skips ahead a few years, so you have to like try to play catch up and figure out. Okay, what have these people been up to this time?
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, um, yeah. As you say, this um, this book takes place um, five years after the Battle of Endor, after the defeat of the Empire. Uh, the characters we know and love have been up to some things. Um, and so, Jacob, I'll toss it over to you. Um, the era that Is dealt with here and there to the Empire. Um, Just after the fall of the Empire, um, a few years after the fact, we're kind of seeing how the Republic is trying to rebuild itself, how it's trying to to fortify and preserve itself. Uh, We get a taste a little bit in this book. Um, It goes into it a bit more in the trilogy uh, later on, but a little bit of a taste in this book about the different kinds of politics that are being played in the galactic republic as well as the politics that are being played in the remnants of the empire um jacob we've talked about it before this is an era of the star wars timeline that has probably been tread and retread the most right just like um shortly after the original trilogy uh what happens after the fall of the empire um and so uh jacob i'll just ask you in in the scope of what we've seen so far come from that era of the timeline both in the old canon and the new canon uh how did you like this kind of portrayal of, of basically what has happened since the fall of the emperor the fall of darth vader uh, how did you enjoy this introduction into this version of what happened after the after the good guys win
1: uh sure so uh, for me i was I was very intrigued, you know. For, for, for anyone who does not know, although I have loved Star Wars my entire life, I love a lot of the books. But this is my first time reading. Uh, this is my first time reading the um, the Throne trilogy, the original one, and that's for me. It's it was so interesting to jump into the first time that anyone's really done this era, the first time that anyone's tried to think about what happens after Endor. And I think, I think Zahn as a, as a writer makes a really interesting decision and a, and a really intelligent decision by immediately starting with what is the empire up to, you know, because although we love Luke Han and Leia and the rest of the new Republic and everything, um, jumping right in with captain, i'm gonna say peleon yeah so that's fair yeah i'm gonna say peleon and thrawn was a was a really interesting way to jump right in and also show us how effective of a of a general thrawn is going to be um and and how effective of an antagonist he's going to be um because and 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 don't worry, we'll get there. There there was because the the entire time I kept waiting. I was like, I wonder if this guy's going to annoy me as much as he annoys Josh for some reason. And he only did one time, but but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but no, I I really liked what they what they were what what uh, what Zon was setting up um, within this world because you can definitely tell that this was coming at a point, like you said, this is eight years after Return of the Jedi, or this came out, excuse me, uh, eight years after Return of the Jedi, eight years after we have had, we've had a complete drought of Star Wars content. And you can tell that this is someone who just loved the series so much and was basically given free reign to create his own world around it. Um, So, yeah, I, mean, I just I I've I really enjoyed what he was doing with it. It is interesting to think because I literally just made this connection. I didn't even think about about it like this, but you talked about how the period around five five years after is so well tread. I mean that that's the time period for the Mandalorian too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see kind of what they're doing with the new canon, with the Empire, with Moff Gideon, as well as doing this and of course apparently now Thrawn's going to be showing up in Ahsoka too so we'll we'll see him again soon so yeah mm.
0: yeah it's it's interesting the way zahn takes the approach to the heading um for some internal context for everybody out there um uh one of the fandom correspondents um, our friend um, Josh the Wise Sage um, he is not a fan of Thrawn. Um, he he often refers to Thrawn as um, s- s- Sexy Blue Tarkin, which mm-hmm. is interesting because I think Josh is the only one who's ever commented on
2: no, I think Josh General Thrawn's sex there. appeal. <laughs> Josh is on to something there. I will give him
0: that. Okay, well, he's on to something, but Josh is... Is usually the one who brings it up first, which is always interesting. Um, but um,
2: and Josh is entitled to his opinions, even when he's wrong.
0: That's true. He is very entitled to all, all of his inaccurate, um, wrong opinions. But um, <laughs> more
2: on that later.
0: Um, but it is interesting to see what Zahn does because um, I'm. I think i um, as a writer, which we do t- t- talk sometimes on the show about. Just kind of the general of the writing style um, of the various authors of the books we read uh, for this show is that um, Zom's writing style is not without flaw. Um, I think some of um, the dialogue um, choices he makes um, can feel um, can feel very weird um, and kind of unnatural. Um, I think at at times in action scenes, it's sometimes hard to keep up with everything that's going on at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's something that Zahn is is excellent about? One, and this is something Jacob's already talked about, and, and even something that Josh allows for as well when we talk about it, is that Timothy Zahn loves Star Wars, and he loves the characters of that world. Um, and then the other thing is that um, Zahn is excellent at at laying down the groundwork and planting the seeds um as far as the story goes for the long term um development of that story um so like you see that in this trilogy um i just recently finished reading the thrawn Ascendancy trilogy and you see stuff where like things he had had planted in the soil of like chapter one of chaos rising Um, come to fruition just in the climax of the last book. Um, So that's kind of what Zahn does. He lays the groundwork by focusing on the characters and seeing where those characters end up at um, during uh, various parts of the journey, uh, which I think is really cool and it allows him to really focus on the things we enjoy about um, the universe while giving him some um, free room to kind of. creative and personalize on the greater context outside of that And one of the ways he does that bridging us to um our next point of topic uh keeping in pace with uh what zahn brings to the table as far as these books go is it allows him to create characters that exist in on um, the star wars lore and have their role but also um help to reveal things and help to develop on the characters of people we already know within it as well. And one of the examples of that, um, who is probably overall my favorite character from the old canon um, Expanded Universe stuff, is Ara Jade, um, who is uh, revealed in this book to have been a um, close confidant of Emperor Palpatine. She's, she's referred to as the Emperor's Hand, which was basically, um, she was a force-sensitive, f- who Palpatine kind of took under his wing, helped develop her powers, and she would go on various uh, Black Ops, essentially, for the Emperor, and she was um, a very important part of the Empire. And he takes this uh, creation of her, takes that very interesting premise, and plays it out now five years after the fall of the Empire, and asks, what is this character going to do now that the good guys have won? um so Alyssa, i'll go back to you i know you were also a fan of mara jade as well um this book starts a very very long um, character journey um with her in it um, throughout uh, spanning throughout different books and storylines and comics and things like that but um tell me what you like about mara jade and if you th- th- think she's a character who is both interesting and who has aged well since the nineties.
2: Um, so it's been a hot minute since I read these books, but I feel like the way she is introduced, she is like a point of view character in these books. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to see a little bit more of like her internalized, you know, thoughts and feelings just about the situation Um, Yeah, I mean, I think she's extremely interesting. Um, The fact that she is Force-sensitive but doesn't really have any real training um, to a certain extent. Um, You know, all of her interactions with Luke, spoilers, are, you know, just really fun and interesting because they start off just, like, absolutely at odds with each other. And she has to kind of like drag his ass through this jungle at one point, Mm -hmm, (laughs) which is really fun. Um, I think she is written very well. I mean, she's very competent. Um, She's basically—I don't want to say she's like Star Wars Kim Possible, but (laughs) I kind of like. I I I want just
1: that. (laughs) i absolutely want you to say that yes i think the the people want you to say that
2: (laughs) i don't know like the whole part where they're like on that jungle planet and she's like kind of taking charge and you know being the one to know what's going on and poor luke is just like i'm just here for the ride Mm -hmm. like that's that's super fun Um, Her character development in this series is just really interesting because she does go from being like kind of this rogue operative to then, you know, just really developing and kind of finding her place. And I think that's a lot of fun. And it doesn't all happen like in this trilogy, like she goes on through many, many more books Mm -hmm. to, you know, have her own adventures and her story develops more. But yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think she's done really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's I done great like for her. herself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> look at her go!
2: <laughs> look at that funky little woman. <laughs> do
0: you, boss? <laughs> um, yet, um, no, yeah, that's great. Like, um, one of, um, if anybody ha- uh, um, has kept up with, um, this little show we do throughout the year, um, you will recall that the last Ode Canon, um, story we covered um was a little book um jacob you'll recall um called shadows of the empire i don't want to Uh, (laughs) um where um steve perry takes an approach to a character we all know and love very well um and and princess yeah and um I'll oh, say so drops the ball with her characterization a bit by <laughs> <What>? <laughs> by basing by basing everything about her um, in regards to what um, is her reaction to what is her relationship with um, these um, these guys in her life, right? That's, that's her whole thing in that story. Is one of the several reasons why that story um, is not very good. I have found it interesting, especially in retrospect from having read that, with Heir to the Empire, as we see Zahn very slowly and very patiently um, take that trope of, oh, it's a female character and like a sci-fi setting, um, everything about her is going to be in relation to the men in her life. And he very patiently takes an approach to that that kind of turns that around. In a way where Ara Jade is surrounded by the men in her life who have either wronged her, who ha- who have used and abused her, who or who sh- he has has lost in her mind, who has been taken from her. Um, in mean, in regards to Luke, in regards to Palpatine himself, in regards to Thrawn at sometimes, um, and so a jade you see her have this character journey um and trying not to go beyond just the confines of air of the empire itself um she has this character journey where she has work to do on herself and she is able to do that a lot of the time in spite of the men in her life rather than because of it um uh, And I think that, especially in like a sci-fi story that was written in the 90s, I think that is kind of a rare find for like that genre at that time. Is that Aura Jade goes on a character journey where she's trying to find her identity, and she's able and trying to find that identity um, as to who am I going to be now as the galaxy's changed rather than um um just being okay with finding herself as a cog in the wheel or going on all of these um, personal quests and vendettas where she starts at and we see that gradually change as the story goes on um i think that part of it is really cool and really well handled
2: yeah because she starts off with you know having what I feel like is a very common trope in a lot of science fiction or fantasy where like, she is this woman who has been wronged, who is on this like revenge quest essentially. And again, I feel like that is kind of cut short pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, She's sort of like using all of these other characters to get her ultimate goal and then realizes like, well, crap, like they're actually kind of using me. So let's, you know, reverse this and <laughs> try something else. Um, and that's really cool to see. Yeah,
0: yeah for sure. Um, hey, sh- 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 up real quickly, I'll ask you any thoughts uh, your opinions you have um, on her character up to this point. Um, Two, how did you feel about your first uh, real introduction to Aura Jade?
1: Uh, sure. So my the only the my my only complaint about this book okay and i i should have i should have known this going in and should have re- recognized this as just being the first part of a trilogy you know um but i this book took a while to grab me i will readily admit that because Zaun is very clearly setting up for more things to happen in books 2 and 3 but the most interesting characters that he has given us in this, of his new new characters, and at least for me, are Mar Jade and Talon Card, mm. and both of them. It, it was annoying to me that literally within the last you know 120 pages, both of them really come into their own, and they both seem really interesting in the book. And then the book ends, mm. um, and so. Although I really, I'm, I'm really excited to see where they go. I was, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, "Well, crap! I'm kind of upset." We had already, we already said we're going to do this at the end of every year because now I have to wait a year to, to find out <laughs> more about them. Um, but I mean, Im- imagine how
0: everybody felt in the '90s as the books were coming out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think Alyssa. You know, hits the nail on the head where she's talking, she's talking about, uh, and I I think you're absolutely right about the way Zahn writes, uh, both Mara Jade and Leia in this, um, the tropes of women in sci-fi and the, and the classical trope of men have wronged me now I'm on a revenge quest. You know, that's, that's basically where she starts, but you very quickly realize that it's going to be something way more than that. Very, very quickly, um, also, because there's never there's never a point where there's never a point where it feels like Luke's going to turn on her. And I think it's because Luke knows there's something more to her. Um, and and, of course, I, I I know where their story goes. I don't know how they get there, but I know where their story goes. But I don't necessarily think that's what's happening here. I think Luke is attempting to understand. Why he has this connection to him? Why he feels this way about him? Um, and I like that. That's really that really comes out very organically between the two of them. Um, their parts in the forest were probably my favorite parts of the book. Um, but I will I will one hundred percent admit my Luke Skywalker bias on that, um, just because he is my favorite character. Um, but he's just. Oh, what? I'm sorry. Did you say something?
2: On that note, like I like that these books kind of bring out Luke's himbo side a little bit. Absolutely, like, he does not make <laughs> the wisest choices sometimes, but God, he tries.
1: <laughs> so it's 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 interesting, and I, I'm I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to get off on a tirade because I, I I know the question was about Mara Jade, and I do love Mara Jade, um, but I think it's I think you're you you hit the nail on the head where, and I think that's honestly why they work together as a pair. Because, you know, I, I my experience with Mara Jade comes way later in her story. My experience mm-hmm. with Mara Jade comes from Legacy of the Force. Um, Because yes. when I was growing up, everyone was talking about this crazy story involving Jason Solo. And I was oh, like, wow. okay, let's see what's going on here. Yeah. So, my experience with her comes from, like, 20 to 30 years down the line. Um, so... I already know how they are such a good a good con- a good connection with each other. And I really like that Zon is really kind of it really tries to set that up really well, even as they're enemies with each other because you're not wrong, Alyssa. Um Luke is very ditzy. Luke is a himbo. and uh, that is why that's honestly why he's one of my favorite characters. Um he is he is best as a character when he's very passive. He is best as a character whenever. He is letting letting go and letting the Force move around him, and then every once in a while he's like, okay, now it's time for me to step up and do something. That's when Luke is at his best, um, wh- whereas with Mara, it is very much go, 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 go. I, I, I have a goal. I have to get it done. This is what I'm doing. I am going to randomly, because I, because i either by chance or by me since in the force, even with the Yasamari or however you say their names around, I am going to come out of hyperspace in the middle of open space, right next to the X-Wing that I've been searching for for the last five years, um... That's Mara Jade. And that's to me, that's why she works really well as a character and really well as a connection with him, because she is very, very much active, whereas Luke is very reactive. So I I, I really liked her character and I really am excited to see more of that growth, because once again, since I know where she ends up and I know where her story goes, I'm really excited to see more of the opening parts of it.
2: Yeah, in hindsight, and edit this out if this is like spoilers for later on, but like in hindsight, this is like the first enemies to lovers trope I ever read. And I just now am putting that together.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And that's not, I mean, that's not, that's not spoiled. If, if you don't know that Mara Jade becomes Luke's, Luke's wife at this point, I mean, even, even having not read the Thrawn trilogy, I knew this. So. It's true you know.
2: love.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah. And, um, to piggyback off that as well, and also to offer some reassurance to anybody who, who's reading the Thrawn books for the first time, um, by the end of this trilogy, um, they like are n- not anywhere close to that.
2: Still. Oh, yeah,
0: like yeah, they're very like... like they're very frosty allies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they're so just it's not... okay with each yeah. other. Yeah, so it's a very slow burn as far as that relationship goes, which again I very much admire Zon for because the trope, especially in like that era of sci-fi. Would have been very much to just be like, and by the end of the third book, they're gonna kiss and they're gonna be yep. just all into each other, and in it'll and it'll forever. be yeah, and he'll have won the girl because he he's the big cool guy in the sci-fi book, yeah. And like, and again, Zon's um, shows a lot more restraint than the average sci-fi writer in the nineties uh, with that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I think there is like a point where, like from Luke's POV, it's like, wow, she's like. So pretty and so smart and so scary, <laughs> and that's that's about as far as you get with that particular relationship dynamic in this mm-hmm. trilogy. But yeah, it's good stuff, it's good stuff.
0: Um, I'm mean also just because it hasn't been brought up yet. Um, the last point for me about Hara Jade is that she lends a very interesting thing, even this early in the trilogy, she ends. Um, she adds a very interesting aspect as far as Emperor Palpatine's character goes. Uh, because up to this, up to this point, and even like, as far as I know now, like, even with like all of the old Canon stuff I've read, all of the new Canon things and stuff, our um, Jade is the first time we've seen somebody feel positively about Palpatine outside of just, like, blind f- faith and, like, imperial loyalty. Um, Anakin, like, obviously, like, has a has a a relationship with sh- sh- Eve Palpatine during the Clone Wars, where they consider each other friends and things like that. But, like, after the fall of the Jedi, and when Emperor Palpatine is at like his most hateful and his most evil, it felt very interesting and very intriguing to find a character who just like uh, thought of the Emperor in such a a positive and intimate way. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that her character added as well. Um, but, um, yeah, now Jacob, you brought up Luke Skywalker. Um, he's your favorite character. I feel like he's a lot of people's favorite character. Um, I'm in Star Wars. So, um, I'll throw it over to you. Um, how did you feel one about just kind of the general characterization of Luke, which you've already talked about a bit, but also two about kind of like where Luke is as far as like his power goes his relationship with the force. Uh, because I remember when I first read this book, I was struck. I texted you all about it. I was struck by just like how powerful of a character he is within the first of the Thrawn book. So how did you feel about, um, who and how he was in this?
1: So this is gonna be a long winded answer because of course that's all I give. Um, and I apologize for that in advance. Um, my first thought when I was reading this book, OK, when it comes to his characterization, my first thought when reading this book was I do not understand what the people who were complaining about the sequel trilogy were complaining about. OK, because the, the one of the biggest complaints I heard about Luke was why would he run off whenever the Empire is right there? OK, or, or the First Order is right there and and they yeah, they're screwing everything up. Meanwhile, literally the first thing we see Luke do, literally the opening scene for Luke, is Ben Kenobi base, basically says deuce deuce later, which I was not aware Force Ghost could do that. But once again, this is this is <laughs> 1991. Okay, so whatever. <laughs> um,
2: Obi-Wan is just so over Skywalker. <laughs> <at> that <laughs>
1: That's point. what it is, yes. Obi-Wan is like, I am so damn tired i just want to go to sleep you know i've yeah.
2: been dealing with this for 50 years <laughs> i'm done i'm out i quit
1: a second thought yeah i i, I think i think a is closer to it i don't think like force ghosts like deteriorate i think it's literally open one was like yeah i gotta go i i can't do this anymore um but no it's uh so so that happens, and then Luke sulks for the next two chapters. And I'm I don't mean that in the sense of like I'm not upset that he sulks. I'm I'm fine with that because that's that's honestly who he is as a character. What I don't understand is why people apparently read this, have a reverence for these books, love them, but for some reason, when he basically does largely the same things in like Last Jedi, for some reason they're complaining. So I don't I don't know I don't get it whatever um that I'm'm I'm, I'm not gonna put too much sequel defend the sequel defending in, in in this podcast but that I did want to point that out is yeah. that Luke is not as different in the in the sequel trilogy as we think he is if we're going based off of the of, of the EU books um but um when it comes to his power level that's kind of an interesting. That's kind of an interesting thing because the force in itself has always been something that is just continuing to grow in every every facet of every film, comic, book, every – if you do not see a new – if you see a force user and you don't see a new force power, then it's something – or you don't see it used in a different way, then honestly, in, in my opinion, where the writer's really trying that hard – to to show the force in a different way. If they were trying to do something to standard, that's great. But in my opinion, every time that we see a different type of force user, we should be seeing them using the force in a different way. Um so which is one of the reasons I love the higher public, but that's a whole other conversation. Um for next month. Um but when it comes to Luke being able to cause I because I know I know the moment you're talking about, because the moment I got there because it happens pretty early in the book. Uh, mm-hmm. Where he's just like, "Don't worry, guys. I'm going to literally like force stun like four squadrons of tie of tie pilots, and and then you know that way we'll I'll be able to, we'll be able to take them down a little bit easier because they won't be able to focus on on how they're flying their tie fighters." And you're like, "Why weren't you doing that at indoor or literally the rest of the trilogy? You know, or why has that never been said since?" Um, But to me, it's, I like it. I like that he's learning different, different ways to the Jedi mind trick. I think it's interesting. Um, and I think it's, I think it makes sense for him as a, as someone who is, who predominantly, I think, wants to be a pilot like his father, you know? And so I like the idea that he's like, well, how can I use the force while I'm flying an X-wing? Um. And what ways can I use it to help me? I really like that aspect of it. Um, But when it comes to him, to how is he that powerful? Literally every time I read a Star Wars book by a different author or I watch something by someone different, I have to flip a coin on what is the power level of the force in this. It's very similar to, to reading any Superman comic before 2011. Um, where it's what level of power is he at in this? Um, because you contrast, you know, you know Luke struggling to grab his lightsaber, and Empire Strikes Back, which I know he's still a younger Jedi, still new. But you contrast that with, you know, say someone like The Force Unleashed, where Star Killer is not only pulling a Star Destroyer out of the sky, but also is wrecking Darth Vader by the end of that game. You know, you have very different levels of power, and different levels of what can a Jedi versus a Sith do, and so I didn't mind that that, that he was doing that. I know, I know there are some people who are like Jedi should not be that powerful, um, and then there are some people who are like Jedi should absolutely be that powerful. Um, but I'm okay with it. I especially because I mean it, it's Luke. It's it's been five years since Endor. It's been five years since he literally became the predominant force user in the galaxy. And apparently he's had five years of training with Obi-Wan Kenobi. That was presumably, um, presumably largely uninterrupted, um, because there were, wa- there wasn't much left of the empire except for just like every once in a while having to jump in with rogue squadron. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked his characterization. Um, and I liked the, the force abilities he was showing in this. Um, in fact, he had my hypest moment of the book, but we'll get to that in a bit, uh, towards the end. But, uh, yeah, I, I personally loved Luke in this book.
0: Okay. You gotcha. Yeah. Um, now I'm going to ping pong a bit in between like, um, established characters and the new characters, um, a little bit. And that means I'm going to touch on one character who I don't think will have a lot to say about Both in terms of where the story is at this point, but also just because uh, this isn't a character I really enjoy and I'm not sure they add a whole lot to the story, but um, um, there is a character introduced in Air to the Empire um, named, um, here's my like, Here's my blind reading of this name, everybody. Um, (laughs) Named um, Joris
1: Kaboth. Kaboth.
0: That's what I'm gonna go with.
1: That's right. Uh, Kaboth, Kaboth. That that that's kind of yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. You know. Um, So um, so Joris Kaboth is. You are led briefly to believe that he is a a Jedi. Aster, who had somehow survived the Clone Wars. You very soon after learn that he's actually the clone of a Jedi Aster, which just that adds way more interesting implications to the Star Wars lore than this character himself does at any point in the trilogy. But (laughs) um, since he's cloned, since he's like in um, a scientific reproduction, of someone who can use the Force Um, and also just because of his identity as a clone Um, anybody who reads uh, um, Spider-Man stuff knows that that can be um, a complicated identity Um, uh, George Kaboth has an interesting take on the Force and uh, he eventually carves out an identity in this book as um, apparently like the the force sensitive threat of the story right if there's like a primary antagonist um um, it's thrawn um however as far as like force users go um it's above um i'll open it up to you first Alyssa. um Any real thing you want to say about Horace K'Bath in this book?
2: Oh, he's grody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he just has a feeling of being kind of a gross person.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, like, when we first see him, he's basically, like, running this whole little planet with, like, all of these residents there who essentially worship him, which is, like, kind of weird. And he's, like... Extremely deluded to the point of believing that he himself is actually this great Jedi master that he was cloned from. Um and like you said a little bit, like the cloning process can lead to like some inherent unhingedness. Mm-hmm. Um and you definitely see that with this guy, like he gosh. It's weird, like, reading that character while also working in the psych field, because, like,
1: mm. there are
2: some major delusions of grandeur going on there. Um, which is scary, because, like, he does actually have some level of power that he just kind of, like, lashes out with irrationally. Mm. But, yeah, it's it's strange. He's He's just kind of gross.
0: Right. He's... He's interesting in that um, (laughs) he's very interesting, especially in the time he was created, um, as far as the story goes, right? Because he was created in 91. As far as I know, um, Jacob, you know a bit more about this than I would. Um, Was there even a whole lot established about what the Clone Wars were in 91? Like, has that really been, like, built up at all?
1: So here's the thing. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't mean to jump in too much, but um, I told you, I, I messaged you at one point and told you, I really like the idea of him talking about the older public as well as building on what happens after Endor. He's also building on what happens before the original trilogy mm-hmm. um, right. because there wasn't a whole lot referenced. And so he was like, I'm just going to build my own kind of storyline Because at this point, you have to think this is eight years after Lucas has basically been like, look, this trilogy cost me my marriage, I'm raising my daughter, Um, I'm basically done doing Star Wars stuff, I had plans to do the prequels, I had plans to do sequels, and now I'm pretty much done. Which is why these books and a lot of other books were like, okay, well, maybe we could do the older public," and then Lucas was like, no, I'm doing the prequels, never mind. And uh, so... There wasn't a lot referenced um, except for in little bits and pieces in different books, including the Thrawn trilogy and then a couple others. others. Um, I had to I had done an Internet search that led me down a rabbit hole of Reddit and QAura for I'm going to say roughly an hour and a half trying to figure out what the original Clone Wars were supposed to be. And what I finally came out on top on because I've. I finally had a friend who was actually alive during that time and was reading them. Uh, me and him talked about it. Apparently, the original plan of the Clone Wars was um, the Sith were trying to clone themselves, um, or Dark Jedi at that time, they weren't even called Sith yet, um, after they had been um, to basically clone themselves and build an army bigger than what the Jedi were. And then that started the whole Clone Wars uh, because all the Sith started going crazy – or all the Dark Jedi started going crazy because once you clone a Force user, uh, they always go crazy, which is presumably what we're about to see in Book 2. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so so there wasn't a whole lot done. This was really the this, – this was the uh, progenitor. Of of the old clone wars basically was in Doris Kabath or, or Doris Kabath or whatever you say his name. And his discussions with clones was the opening salvo of it pretty much.
0: Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, because um as you said, like after um, <laughs> I mean like even in terms of like um the old canon stuff, the um you stuff, um, afterwards that added onto the lore, you find that like even just the basic idea of that was, like, very quickly abandoned um, and turned out. But mm-hmm. um, um, that's what I mean. Like, Chorish um, Kaboth like, he's kind of a character that, like, I really want to, like, and be interested by because of the potential that he holds, Um
2: interesting your feelings are exactly what thrones were
0: (laughs) well yeah exactly so so
2: that's the thing
0: yeah Um, um and also as far as you know one of the main things we find out about him in this first book is that um he is very very focused on trying to train up the new generation of jedi and so it's kind of interesting in that like um luke is right there um, on that note as well. And we have, like, the inevitability of, like, of like the twins who Aya is pregnant with at the time. Uh, the obvious assumption is that they are going to be more sensitive as well and will need uh, the Jedi training. And so we see uh, one of the aspects of Luke is being that, like, okay, I'm trying to figure out really what a Jedi's supposed to be now in this capacity, in this in this era, and what to do with the future. And we have um, the figure of H'baf, who, like, very clearly has his own idea of what the Jedi should be and how they should go forward. And he has the prestige of having served with the Jedi before. Uh, however, we gradually learn that it's a much more... Corrupted idea of what it is and things like that. And like all of those implications are really interesting and really cool. Um, Jacob, tell me if I'm wrong, at least in, in heir to the empire. um, The issue is that like, he kind of almost feels out of place. He kind of feels like he should have been a character in a different book series.
1: Yeah, I mean, for, for me, he is the, at least like you said in Heir of the Empire, he is definitely the glaring, like, if he does not become a bigger part, or if he, or if his goals do not have a more central theme, then, in my opinion, he is the weirdest character that, that Zahn adds, which, even if he does that, he's definitely the weirdest character that Zahn has added, um, but when you when you contrast this going this going between your antagonist, when you contrast you know, Thrawn, who is very you know, I mean he, he even talk he even talks about how he's not Vader. He's like he is very mild. He is very he's very controlled, very 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 cold and calculating. Then you have Joris whos who is who is i mean literally within the first like five pages you see him he's just like lightning you know just and, and you're just like whoa well, okay all right we're, we're we're out there we're just we're just we're just jumping into it okay um yeah he he feels really out of place in this um and weird but i but at the at the same time like I don't know. Like they for for me I I kind of like him because because there was a because that that is how you get your clone wars connection and that is how you get your kind of dark side and your force discussion but at the same time I think I think it would have been stronger if it was if it was just Thrawn in this first part mm-hmm. in in my opinion. Yeah.
2: I do like the contrast of the two of them like in their interactions though like I can't remember if it is in the first book or the second but you like I don't know Joris ends up just being such a diva he is and like everyone gets super sick of it super quickly (laughs) and like because those are the antagonists having to deal with him. Like, it, it I don't know. I just thought it was very funny. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. It's very, like, um, you have this uh, main antagonist in Thrawn who's, like, very, like, uh, who's very cold, who's very precise in what he's doing, who, like, has a plan of attack on the Rebellion to, like, destroy them, rebuild the Empire, and, and do all this. And then, like, at his his side, you just have, like, the awkward um, guy who's just kind of there, who's just kind of like, and Thrawn, what am I going to be in this empire? (laughs) (laughs) And Thrawn's just like, oh, my god. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're right.
2: I like the mental image of just, like, a very calm, cool, collected, like, pulled-together Thrawn, just, like, I think it's, like, in some of the official artwork, there's a picture of him just, like, hands folded in front of his face with just, like, this very stern look. Like, he's definitely, like, sitting there plotting something. But then, like, taking that image and just, like, through the background of that, having just, like, this insane man in gross tattered robes run by <laughs> with lightning zapping out of his fingers. It's, it's just a very fun mental image.
0: It's incredible. It's great. But, um, yeah, yeah. Like everybody as like you read th- through the books uh, and time goes on, you see a bit more of what Zahn was trying to do with him, but um, I still stand by the idea that I think um, Kaboth would have been a better character if he had just kind of like had his own story if it had just kind of yeah. been his own thing. but um, but uh, yeah I do I do adore the Thrawn books, but if there's one huge flaw within them, um, it's definitely that stuff for sure.
2: But again, like, I love how layered that whole plan was.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was definitely yeah. very, very involved.
0: Yeah. Um We are going to talk about, um, of course, the titular t- t- character of mm-hmm. um, this story, as we're kind of winding down now. Um, I have just kind of a general question for you all to discuss about him. I have a specific one as well that I'll get to after we've kind of, like, um um, am expounded upon how we feel about him, but, um, uh, grand animal Thrawn. I mean, as far as expanded universe characters go, like he is, he's is probably the most popular character in the old Canon stuff. Um, he, he's already, um, has shown up in like the new Canon stuff, uh, I'm in the rebel show. Um, it seems pretty clear that we are going to get some Thrawn live action stuff um, in the Ahsoka show as well, um, if everything uh, kind of stays on the path that it seems to be going. Um, Thrawn is a character with who obviously he made an impact in the 90s and 2000s, um, much to our friend um, Josh's sh- 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 chagrin, you cannot get rid of him in the new canon. Um, um, I brought it up um, earlier in the year. Um, If you want a gauge on how successful and popular Grand Admiral Thrawn is, even now today, um, not including the novelization of the films, there are um, eight Star Wars books in the new canon about this equal trilogy. There are hicks books just about Grand admiral (laughs) theron so (laughs) so so uh, he's a character who who has made an impression um who has has kept with the star wars fandom um and through various uh, facets and avenues um seems to be a character who still has some staying power still to come um so uh, i'll pass it over to you um how do you feel about Grand Amo Throne? What does he mean to you? In my heart? In your heart? <laughs> in your mind? In your body?
2: Oh, oh, no. I don't think it's that kind of podcast.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Um, kidding. Um, <laughs> it is that kind of podcast.
2: <laughs> no. I don't know. I just think he's super neat. Like, obviously, through this original tri- original trilogy, like, Yes, he's really neat. Um, Once you get into, like, more characters' perspectives, you get to see, like, okay, yes, he definitely is, like, a bad guy here. Um, But just, like, the way he's introduced in the first book, like, I went and just grabbed the book real quick to reference, but, like, the way that he is introduced by his captain – just like from that first chapter, like everybody is just in awe of this guy. Mm -hmm. And it's really neat to see that play out because he is like absolutely brilliant. Um, I don't know, he's just a really neat character. Like it's hard to just kind of describe that off the hilt. But um, I have not watched like any of the cartoons or like really any of the Ahsoka stuff. So, like, I don't know what that storyline is, but just going off of what I know from this trilogy, and then I read, like, one of the newer canon stuff as well. Um He's just really neat. Um He comes across as, like, possibly being somewhat unhinged with just, like, his plans that he creates, but, like, for the most part they work out for him um in these books like he gets hindered a lot just by pure dumb luck on the part of like Luke Skywalker (laughs) but it's yeah he's just really cool I like stories that kind of feed you like little bits at a time and you have to like try to unravel like okay what's the plan here like what What is the mystery? What's going on? And I think these books do that with this character very well, Um, just giving like very brief glimpses inside his mind. Because unless I'm wrong, I don't think we really get any chapters from his perspective. Like it's all from the people around him, like watching him operate, basically. Am I? Mm -hmm. Is that wrong? No, (laughs) that's correct. I think there yep. there might be a few, but, like, he is not, like, one of the primary. I
0: think you're right, yeah.
2: Primary perspectives. So, like, these are books about him, obviously, but none of it is really from his perspective. It's all, like, painted from the perspectives of people who are, like, either admiring him or who are, like, stressed the hell out by him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I like that
0: yeah um i don't know you have talked about before just um in casual conversation with me that you've always appreciated uh, the aspect of thrawn where he seeks to learn about the <laughs> culture yes. of a race or of a group before he goes in and tries to conquer them
2: yeah i think like again from that first chapter of the first book he talks about how like you need to study a culture's art and history in order to understand how they operate. And normally that will give you the key on what you need to either integrate with them or destroy them. Um colonizer mindset aside, like mm. that is pretty brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that points to a very important aspect um a thrawn's character but I'll get into that in a bit because I would like to hear um what Jacob has to say um about thrawn because I think Jacob correct me if I'm wrong aside from the stuff mm-hmm. and on um, the rebels show uh, uh was this really your first like big exposure to thrawn as a character? Uh
1: yes absolutely. Um because that's the only thing I had seen him in was rebels. I knew it's one of those things where it's like it's, it's kind of like, like how I was talking about, uh, this is kind of switching between Phantom Correspondent stuff, how I was talking about my streams with Devil May Cry video games, where it's like, if you showed me a picture of Thrawn, I could point to him and say, that's Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's in the Thrawn trilogy, <laughs> you know? But like, <laughs> I knew very little about him. Um, until recently, I didn't, I didn't know about the art uh, aspect. I didn't know about the... Um, I think Alyssa nailed, hit the nail on the head when it's the, the, the colonization aspect um, mm. of him. And I didn't know about what the Yasamari were or anything like that, which mm. that's how I'm rolling with how to say that. I sure I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's
0: all the, you know, it's all these words that don't have enough vowels in them. Those it's are the
2: exactly words. So, <laughs> <sort of> like <laughs> his little furry lizard things. Yeah, Well, <laughs> furry
1: lizard things. Yes. Um, which of course is, I think that's interesting because it means he's a natural foil to Luke and his power as a Jedi. I think that's I think that's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. That like, <laughs> which one of my favorite parts about this is I know it's going to come up later. I know he's setting up for something, but I like that the entire reason that he shows up and just ruins Talon Cards' uh, lovely dinner party from the sound of it is literally just. <laughs> I need more. Yes. Which <laughs> my assumption is that he's just like, if I put like almost a thousand of them on a ship, there's no way Luke can hurt me in space. <laughs> that's at least that's my hope of that's his thought process.
2: Yeah. Um, my but, perspective on that whole relationship is like, do you know that um, I have this headache that comes and goes meme? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I have this headache that comes and goes. Oh God, here it is again.
1: <laughs> oh God, here it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but no, I think uh, Alyssa, you you bring up a really interesting point, and it's one of the reasons I think it's one of the reasons I think Zahn as a writer is one of the few Star Wars writers from the nineties that is still writing star wars stuff today like so much so that like kathleen kennedy and uh pablo hidalgo and phil zotac i think is how you say his last name it's the head of the star wars books mm-hmm. um i think the reason that they won't make sure that they wanted him to come back is because in my opinion as a writer he is very ahead of his time um and for the sci-fi genre definitely um because one of the ways that he writes thrawn and i think it's a very effective way to write it is that you never see a chapter strictly from his point of view you you get moments where in italics you will hear you will have different little snippets of his internal monologue but it is largely from captain Peleon's uh point of view or talon cards point of view so you have someone who is working under him and is pretty terrified of him or you have someone who is attempting to play both sides on him and is really annoyed that he is showing up basically um and both i think are very effective at the way that they portray who thrawn is um His opening, you know, where where like you said, he talks about learning the different cult, the different aspects of the culture, um, before conquering them, is well, yes, horrifying, uh, and and yes, does does call back to to the colonization tactics, but at the same time, is a very interesting way to write a villain not even just in star wars just in general because like i was trying to think of someone else who has ever been written like that um that was not an actual like person like from history um the only one i could maybe come up with close to it would be um uh I can't remember his name, but the uh, it's it's the Khan that is the villain in Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's literally the only person I could think of that was even close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do that in 1991 is wild. It's it's one of the reasons that to it's to me it's one of the reasons that he was such an effective villain back then and why he has had such a staying power because he is so different. He's not this overarching villain who is super powerful like Palpatine. He's not this menacing force like Vader. And he's also not this sniveling bureaucrat like Tarkin. He is someone who is very much his own character. And I think that's why he's so effective. Um, The... Be, even, even to the point like there's there's a point towards the end of the book because because the whole thing is that they have the entirety of the book is leading to you don't really know what the book is leading to until literally the last like 30 pages um, where you finally realize that his entire plan is he's trying to build up the new Imperial Navy. But he's trying to do that by stealing all the ships at the Slewis Van shipyard at the end. Um, and they keep talking about Slewis Van and they keep talking about playing in this attack. And there's a point where he's like, we could postpone. And he, Thrawn even says, he's like, we can't postpone. And I can't remember how he words it, but he says something to the effect of like, um, they have a, uh, it's something to the effect of like, uh, he, uh, they have like a mid centennial, like, Moral drought or something like that is something to the effect where, where he's like this will literally hurt their entire species like more if we attack at this time and you're like how one how do you know that? two, God, that is a horrifying way to think um you know, but it's what but it's why he works so well as that villain because you're like he he can literally outthink anybody the one time and it's my one complaint about him as a character. Um, uh, because, because it's, it's the, and it's the one time that I was like, okay, Zon was trying to make him semi-force sensitive in this one because there's no other way around it. Um, when they try to do the ship switch where Leia and Chewbacca are going to go to Kashyyyk mm-hmm. and Lando, Han, and 3PO are going on the Lady Luck, uh, Lando ship to this other place where they're random where uh they're trying to get a spot spli- uh, they're trying to get a slicer excuse me they're mm-hmm. trying to get a slicer who can figure out who the mole is in the new republic which um if it isn't the if it isn't the uh the Bothan, i don't know what i don't know what's going to happen um but uh but that's just me um but there's a point where like Peléod is kind of playing into their plan and Thrawn's like, no, Leia's on, Leia's on the Falcon. She's going to get sheep with the Wookiee and presumably uh, they have used C-3PO to change, uh, to mimic her voice. And that's why we are getting uh, calls from her going to the Abrogado system. And you're like, how do you know that? Like that's the, <laughs> that was the one moment that I was just like, okay, that's, that's a bit much. Like that, but that was the only time, like every other time I was like, okay, that was interesting. That worked, you know, um, whenever he goes down to, to, to I think it's Mike Mer- Merker. It's, it's, it's talent cards planet or yeah. where, where he's at, wherever he goes down there and he basically figures out everything that's going on with that situation within five minutes. That kind of makes sense because they were caught off guard. They, they were trying to just kind of pull shit together as, as quick as they could, and so that one kind of makes sense, but him looking at two ships and just being like, no, he's right there. He's right there. That's when, that's what I was like. Okay. That's, that's a bit much. There's no way you, you could know that. Uh, but, <laughs> but once again, but that is just me. Uh, but I really, I really did like Thrawn, uh, as a villain. I'm really intrigued to see where it goes. Um, and cause I don't know how this ends. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know what happens to him. I don't know what happens to anyone at the end of this book. Um, the only thing I know is that the twins are born in the third book. That's all I know. Um, which I guess means that the second book only takes place over like a week. Um, now that I think about it. But uh, because he's like, he's eight months pregnant, isn't he? In the first one.
0: Yeah, she is very pregnant.
1: <laughs> he is very pregnant. And <laughs> it's still taking out Nagrai with a lightsaber, which is pretty awesome. Because, because sure, sure. <laughs> ain't no one going to stop <laughs> from this <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm really excited for you to read the second book.
1: I, I'm I'm excited to read the second book. Woo.
2: Yeah, I just remembered that you have no idea what's coming with those characters or with
1: those creatures. Nothing. I know. I know. At the end or towards the end of it, apparently, Darth Vader saved them, or at the very least, one of them views him that way, and now views her as, like, their new semi-leader because she is the daughter of Darth Vader. Um, At least that's what I was getting from that. That was a... (laughs) Let me tell you guys... The, the the only problem I had from a writing standpoint in this is that Zon is very slowly paced until the last hundred pages, and then just so much happens very very quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, that is the, that was my literally my only my only critique from a writing standpoint in this book was that last hundred those last hundred pages there is a lot thrown at you, um, and yeah. so yeah so 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 the random ass assassin species now apparently having been devoted to darth vader and are now devoted to leia because of because of her lineage was kind of an interesting twist so i'm really intrigued to see where that goes um because leia's story ends with basically she goes back to coruscant and then is like hey why is akbar in chains and that's basically where the book ends <laughs> sorry i don't mean to, i don't mean to get ahead and get off from other things excuse me
0: <laughs> no no it's okay it's fine um Um, I know on this episode we haven't talked uh, really a whole lot about the story of this book. Um, That is very intentional on my part just because, um, as we've already said, so much of this book is basically just um, Zon trying to set up things for the rest of the trilogy. Mm. Um, And so in that way, um, as we've already said, at times it does feel kind of slow. It feels like uh, very much a bridge into other things. But, um, um, no, that's fine. Um, with, um, with Thrawn, and again, not getting too ahead in, um, this series of books or anything like that, um, Thrawn is really interesting to me, because in the context of, of what we know about the Empire, right, um, the Empire and the Rebellion are a classic struggle um, of evil p- 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 being in power and and the f- forces of good struggling against it and gradually overcoming it, right? Uh, it's one of the classic examples of that k- k- kind of story in this day and age. Um, What's interesting about Thrawn to me is that, uh, with the exception of of Darth Vader, um, arguably, Thrawn is the first person with the Empire who it feels like he almost d- d- deserves to win, right? Like his his competence is his competence, his expertise, his skill, his insight, the decisions he makes, all of that feels so much higher above everybody else's that that when he does face setbacks or when things um, work against him, it almost feels unfair, and that's a very weird feeling to have in storytelling where you find yourself not rooting for Thrawn, because at the end of the day, Thrawn is an imperial. He's trying to return things to the status quo. He's like, um, as you all said, he's a colonizer. He's like extremely cruel and ruthless. So he isn't a good guy. However, he's written to be so competent that um, you almost find yourself not rooting for him, but having like the more... Logical train of thought of just like oh, Thron's gonna win. He he probably should. Like he (laughs) probably he probably like he has done the work to like earn this victory, and it's a very interesting kind of way to tell a story, in a setting that is used to being so classical and so black and white.
2: Yeah, like it's almost disappointing when like aspects of his plan do fail, Mm. and like. You kind of do you have to like stop and remind yourself, like, no, wait, that's a good thing, yeah, <laughs> because, like you said, like you don't want him to win, but like, I don't know. It's hard to like take yourself out of that mindset sometimes, reading like once you get very immersed in these stories, like, oh, wait, time out like this is this is the bad guy. Like <laughs> we don't want this to be successful, but God, it's cool..
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, As we wind down this episode, um, I have one last question to ask y'all before we get into the traditional um, run of what we do on this show. But um, this last question um, is about Thrawn. Uh, Jacob, you've already kind of hinted at it. I don't know if it was entirely genuine or in jest. But um, I've got a question for you all, because when I was reading Heir to the Empire for the first time, this is a question that very quickly came to mind for me. And so I want y'all's opinion, Um, just using, uh, just trying to use just the events of Heir to the Empire as as your backdrop. Um, uh, Do y'all believe that it was Timothy Zahn's intention for us to think that thrown is force sensitive unless I'll start with you with uh, the bigger history you have with the character
2: um I never really thought about it but gosh it's it's gonna be difficult to answer knowing the context of yeah. like a later series everything but it happens yeah um I don't know that I ever really thought about it but in hindsight maybe like like again like we talked about like there are sometimes things that like he just or like conclusions that he comes to that he should not be able to come to with the information that he has and I don't know if that's just like natural intuition or just like Mm -hmm. being very very good at remembering details and forming theories but I guess maybe um but then again like with having like his i forget what they're called the weird little furry Mm -hmm. snake noodles um having those just like literally draped around his neck Mm -hmm. um i don't think so i i I don't think so i don't think he would like handicap himself in that way just for the sake of like being a detriment to the others as well
0: Sure. If he was so. Sure. Uh, Jacob, I'll turn the question over to you. I want you to place yourself as an avid star Wars fan in 1991. Mm. You get this book, you read about this guy. Who's like the only alien member of Alpatine's elite officers. Um, he's able to do all this stuff. um, in your opinion, was it Zon's intention that Thrawn um, is force sensitive or that we should take away from this book that Thrawn um, is force sensitive?
1: I, I'm going to say no. I, I think I think Alyssa is right. He is very much a character who if he can take an advantage, he's going to take an advantage. Um, and so like it would it would be very much against his character. To drape as Alyssa has so eloquently put it, um, the weird furry snake noodles on around his shoulder.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it would be it it would be very much against his character to do that. Um, also, even going off of Palpatine, if Palpatine knew that he was force sensitive, he would have been doing more with him, like as as another apprentice like it is it is not outside of the realm of possibility for palpatine to have plans outside of darth vader mm. uh, on the complete other end of that spectrum it's not out uh, outside of the realm of possibility for darth vader to have plans outside of palpatine so if you have someone who is for sensitive literally right under their nose um i would assume that one or both of them would have been attempting to to make him into another acolyte or something akin to what we would now know as the inquisitors or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I don't think, I don't think he's forced. I don't think it was Zon's intention to make him force sensitive. I think it was just, I think it was, I wanted a Moriarty S character in space. And Mm -hmm. that's where Thrawn, that's where Thrawn comes in. Um, And that's why he does have that kind of almost. um, Magical kind of intuition about him. Mm -hmm. sure
2: also a side note to the furry noodle lizard things Um, apparently I completely made up the furry part they are just lizards
1: they're just lizards okay gotcha (laughs) there is
2: there is no fur on these things I don't know where I got that but for like the last 12 years in my brain they have just been little furry lizard guys so
1: Alyssa, i i trust you so much that even though i had not heard them say the words fur or furry anywhere near them i was like well i guess they have fur on them i i didn't (laughs) i was unaware but that that's how much i trust you Uh,
2: you shouldn't clearly (laughs) Um, much to both of our detriment (laughs) i was wrong (laughs)
0: Um. Um. Yeah, I think those are reasonable answers for sure. I did want to ask that question because um, uh, you'd be surprised at the time and even up to now. Like that was a question that was like very hotly debated about Theron is if he has any amount of force sensitivity. If he does, like what kind to what extent. Uh, because of his alien race, does he experience it in a different way than other Force users do? Um, Because as you get into the new canon stuff he showed up in, you find out that he's from um, a very different part of the galaxy than everyone else is. So um, um, it's a hot-button issue, I felt like, with the book that introduces Thrawn. um, um, I would feel ashamed if, if we did not at least... Talk about it in a brief way. But, uh, oh, yeah. Um, Now we have gotten to our last segment of the show where we answer two simple questions about um, the story we just interacted with. Heir to the Empire. uh, We talk about what is our most hype scene or moment from the story, uh, the part that gets us the most hyper-excited or just... Like, oh, that's so cool. Um, And the second part is, do you accept this story into your grand canon of Star Wars timelines? Um, This one is very interesting because probably more than anything else we've done, this one carries the most um, um, disruptive implications for the rest of canon <laughs> if <laughs> if you do accept this one um so that's kind of interesting but um uh, yeah we'll hop right into it um uh, jacob i'll start with you as the constant co-host of the star wars eu or e-review um jacob uh what was your hypest scene from heir to the empire um and do you accept it into your grand canon of star wars timelines
1: So for me, the hypest moment, it's, it is a, it is a oddly kind of low key moment for, or would be for some, but I just, I really liked it, um, because it was always something that I wanted to see done somehow. Um, and that is Luke escaping from the tractor beam of the chimera, I think is what Mm -hmm. it's called. Yep. Is that the ship? Okay. Gotcha. Um, Because, because, so even going all the way back to episode four, okay, when, when Han and, and, and everyone else are on the Millennium Falcon and they are caught in the tractor beam, I have always been like, well, why can't, can they not do anything while they're in the tractor beam? Is there, there's nothing they can do. And so seeing Luke kind of get in the exact same situation. But because, which I also I love this, because R2 and him have apparently refused to have uh, the X-Wing, or no, they, excuse me, they refused to upgrade R2. So instead, he and the X-Wing are almost like a symbiotic relationship now. And so some, I can't remember exactly how they expl- he explains doing it, but basically he cuts every version of his thrusters... And just kind of slowly turns the X-Wing around and then shoots the tractor beam with, uh, so that, or excuse me, shoots off the proton torpedoes. That way, instead, the tractor beam is pulling them in and they're letting Luke go by accident. Um, it was just such a really cool moment that I, it was something I'd always wanted to see and no one had ever done it, at least in any of the other books, to the best of my knowledge,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: um, and so I don't know. I just I really liked that. I thought that was I thought that was a cool little moment. Um, of course, that leads to the X wing getting all kinds of busted up after that um, because it was a very difficult maneuver. Um, and then uh, Talon Card and uh, J capture him and everything, and it all goes from there. But um, the canon question, of course, is it, even as I'm reading it, I was like, I know. I mean, obviously, he's going to ask that question. So. I was trying to figure that out and it's interesting because I think, I think right now of these, of the three, this one would be the least disruptive of to the cannon, but I am fairly certain that uh, dark force rising and the last command are going to get way more disruptive into where, where the cannon goes. Um, for me, I, I love the sequels too much, man. Like, I just, I really do. I, I love, I love Last Jedi. I love Force Awakens. I, there are, I have come to terms with with Rise of Skywalker, but, you know, I just, I love that canon and I love the the characters in it that, for me, I would not be able to, even with my love of Jade and Talon Card and Grand Admiral Thrawn in this, I would not be able to lose Finn, Poe. Ray and Kylo Ren um for them so uh, so for me it's not in my grand canon although it is a very a very good story and it is uh well worth anyone's time of reading um especially from a historical aspect of Star Wars because like you said this was really the first main one post the original trilogy so yeah
2: no
0: that's fair that's fair I get that yeah um yeah I will turn it over to you Alyssa Uh, most hype scene and is this in your grand canon of Star Wars
2: um so I think my favorite I don't know if it's necessarily one scene because it spans a chunk of the book but honestly just like the whole trekking through the jungle bit and Mm -hmm. then like yeah, just like that whole bit where they're kind of stuck together. Luke and Mara Jade are just kind of stuck together and having to survive. And then she, like, makes him rub his face with essentially poison ivy to disguise himself. And he's just utterly miserable. And she's like, sorry, deal with it. Um, that whole bit is just very entertaining to me and was probably my favorite part of the book. Um As far as being Star Wars canon, again, like, while I love and enjoy Star Wars, I'm not, like, as dedicated to it as the rest of you, which is okay. Um, I love it and I enjoy it, but I don't spend too much time getting, like, super deep into it. Um, That said, like, I'm able to just kind of have this trilogy in the background of my mind is just, like, filling in gaps, I guess. So in that way, I see it as, like, part of, part of the canon in my mind, I guess. Um, obviously, there are changes that would have to be made to it to make it fit perfectly with, like, the sequel trilogy and all of the other media that we've gotten since, but I don't know, I, like thinking about it as like a more fluid, like, you know, what's to say that aspects of it couldn't be adapted and shown to be real later on. Mm-hmm. So so a little bit yes and no with it being canon, I guess, because obviously like the book itself, you know, and the events and the people in it can't all fit perfectly, but, you know, just showing there is room for this story or this type of story i think makes sense
0: mm-hmm.
2: i don't know if any of that was intelligible or not or if i was just kind of babbling there but that's mm-hmm. that's how i feel
0: <laughs> yeah i got you no yeah um um yeah my hypest um scene um still to this day um is skywalker i'm um, Facing down just a battalion and a half of TIE fighters and just being like, no, it's fine. I'm just going <laughs> to give them all temporary dementia to make this fight easier. And it's just like, what? whoa, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> hey,
2: buddy. <laughs>
0: hey, do that more often. Um, but um, uh, because that part just like, it is really cool. It It lends itself to the idea that like, Um, in the aftermath of Return of the Jedi, that Luke Skywalker is like, um, in terms of how the Imperials see him, like he's way more of just like, um, ethical, like, horse of nature, than he is like, um, an actual dude. And so, like, uh, just having those scenes where, like, he does have like that grand display of power and stuff, uh, just kind of lends itself to that, which I've always um, thought is really cool. But, um, um, yeah, like, here's the thing: like, um, I enjoy um, this equal era stuff. Um, I am not as emotionally mature as A-Cup is. I have not come to terms with the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but but um um I do enjoy a lot of what those um stories have to offer. And so like um I'm with Jacob. I'm also with Alyssa too, because we've seen that these um these characters still have still have appeal and still have saying power. Um as far as Thrawn goes at least. I think with this upcoming Ahsoka show, I think we're gonna see a um I'm a very Use adaptation of what Thrawn is all about, as far as trying to organize the remnants of the Empire. Um, I think that is what we'll get, um, and so I'm with y'all on that for sure. Um, I feel I do feel the obligation, though, to point out um, on this episode, way more than any of the others, that um, these opinions we have like are are definitely like. In a minority of Star Wars fans. Like, there are plenty of fans I would argue that or fans than not, who still regard uh, the Thrawn trilogy as, like, the true sequel trilogy of Star Wars. Um, Who... um, And, like... um, And that opinion, like, is very real. It's still very strong. Um, And I know... Um, a lot of that are just from um, a lot of guys who just can't cope with the idea <laughs> of, of this equal films and having um, Ray be there and and be there and things like that. But like, um, it's important to definitely acknowledge that that uh, when it comes to the Thrawn Trilogy and *Heir to the Empire*, um, it's probably been the most controversial even to this day thing that we have covered on the show. Um, So um, it's definitely out there. There are definitely those fans who are just like, who are just like, no, I think, I think Ray's whole character is just utterly ridiculous and doesn't make any sense. I want Joris Kaboth in my real sequel. (laughs) (laughs) Instead. But, um, oh Yeah. All that to say, uh, Herod, Herod of the Empire is a big one. It's um, it's probably the story of the old canon that everybody knows and um, a lot of people love. So um, I'm glad that um, you both were able to enjoy it. Uh, we're both able to um, join in on, on this episode with me as we talked about it. Um, there will be um, a lot more Thrawn stuff to come in the future. And there will be a lot more Star Wars stuff in general to come because, Hey baby, we're doing a season two of Star Wars EU <laughs> e- review show here on Phantom talk. So woo! woo, so we're going <laughs> to, so we're going to have a lot more episodes. Uh, we're still going to be covering all different aspects. We're going to be recovering high Republic stuff, going to be recovering old canon stuff, uh, all kinds of good things, um, themed episodes and events guests, all that good stuff. Everything you loved about season one, uh, you can count on for more in season two. But um, that being said, thank you all so much for hanging out with us. Uh, Whether this is your very first episode, or you've been with us since episode one um, in January, 2022. uh, We really appreciate y'all. And if you really enjoy our stuff, uh, you can engage with us in different ways. Uh, We're on Instagram um, at the... Anim Correspondence, um, i Talk, you have found this episode. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that good stuff. Um, and then we also have a Patreon as well. If you are really into what we do, you want to throw some support our way, uh, then even and then just a dollar is a huge gift uh, that blows our minds every time. But um, even just hanging out with us um, is very much appreciated. But, um, yeah, uh, Jacob, to close, I'll throw it over to you. What kind of stuff can they maybe expect in January 2023?
1: Well, Al, I know for a fact that in January 2023, they can expect the Star Wars The High Republic Rising Storm. Uh, It is the second of the main uh, High Republic novels. It is written by Cavan Scott, and it is the one where... It, it, it is their empire strikes back. Like everything takes a turn, um, on, on this one. Um, and in the last, really in the last like six pages, like you, you, you think, you know where, where you're heading and then it just all turns. Um, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's one of my favorite star Wars books that that I've, re- I've read. Um, I love the higher public stuff, man. So it's going to be, it's going to be a great one. um, and uh, you guys get to look forward to that at the end of this month you get to, technically technically you get two e u or e review episodes in a month so really you're welcome
0: there you go yeah yeah everybody we took a small break in december um to s- s- celebrate life day mm. uh, yes. Chewbacca's family. yes we um, did <laughs> <laughs> we just we just hung out and chilled and sang some songs but um but yeah you're getting um a double dose this month um and the consistency um uh, from here on out um again with plenty of surprises and fun stories along the way so um again thank you two very much uh for the episode and thank you all for hanging out with us and remember the Phantom is for everyone even Joris Kaboth
2: Bye